the Italian Wine Podcast is the community-driven platform for Italian wine geeks around the world. Support the show by donating at italianwinepodcast.com. Donate five or more euros and we'll send you a copy of our latest book, My Italian Grape Geek Journal, absolutely free. To get your free copy of My Italian Grape Geek Journal, click support us at italianwinepodcast.com or wherever you get your pods. Grazie mille. Welcome to the Italian Grape Geek Podcast. Join us as we explore personal stories of travel and tasting with Italy's must-know grape varietals. Chart your own course with My Italian Grape Geek Journal, your personal tasting companion to accompany the series. Available now on Amazon. With thanks to Colangelo and Partners for their generous support with this project. Ciao, fellow Italian wine people. My name is Peggy. I'm proud to be an Italian wine ambassador, and I'm happy to have been a part of the Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 project. A bit about my background. Well, my background is actually in education, but I was pulled into the world of wine about eight years ago. I now work as a sommelier on the floor of a very cute Italian restaurant here in my home of Victoria on the west coast of Canada. My most recent project was to develop a course for wine students about how to study wine better using a neurodevelopmental approach. Today, I am happy to present the grape Piedirosso. This is an ancient grape of Campania, with its origins most likely traced to the era around Vesuvio. The name Piedirosso means red foot, alluding to its vibrant red-colored stalk. There have been various other synonyms for this grape in its long history, all of which make reference to its red stem or to the way it resembles the red feet of pigeons. Piedirosso is grown almost exclusively in Campania, with many DOCs where it can be bottled as a monovarietal or have a dominant role for blends. This includes Capri, Ischia, Sanio, Capiflegre, Costi d'Amalfi, and Vesuvio DOCs. Mount Vesuvius is regarded as the heartland area for Piedirosso. It's grown on the slopes of this stratovolcano in the deep volcanic soils. The texture of these soils is loose, which allows for ungrafted vines to thrive here. The soils were celebrated for their remarkable fertility by ancient Greek settlers and have drawn people to live and farm in this area for many, many centuries. Even today, the area around Mount Vesuvius is the most densely populated volcanic area in the world, therefore earning it the title of the world's most dangerous volcano. Wines in the Vesuvio DOC can qualify to use the sub-designation of Lacrima Cristiroso, where Piediroso can be blended or appear as a mono-varietal. There seems to be no shortage of interesting volcanic sites for Piediroso, since it's also the most important red grape of Campiflegre, west of Vesuvio. This area is composed of many volcanic cones, volcanic lakes with gas and steam emissions, and a peculiar volcanic phenomenon that causes the land to heave and swell. The land could have actually be lifted up several millimeters in a day, which can add up to many centimeters or even several meters in a year, like living on a giant balloon that's constantly inflating and deflating. At least that's how Giuseppe Fortunato of Cantrara Salandra describes this interesting phenomenon. Here in Campi Flegre, Piedirosso, is known as per i palumo, meaning pigeon's foot, and can be labeled as such in this DOC. Ischia is another unique volcanic site for Piedirosso. The island is off the coast of Campi Flegre, 
and is known for its unique green volcanic tuff created by molten magma coming into contact with cold water that washed out pockets of green minerals. Here, wines can be bottled variedly as Piedidoso or as Per y Palumo. Ischiaroso wines are blends of Piedidoso with Cananao. Other DOCs that feature Piedidoso are Capri, Irpinia, and Zenium. Piedidoso is widely used to blend with Alianico. We see these blends in the DOCs of Flerno del Masico, Cilento, Costa da Malfi, and Penisola Sorrentino. Piedidoso softens Alianico's structure and contributes perfume and freshness to the blend. Monoferidal Piedidoso offers floral notes of violet, geranium, lavender, red-berried fruits such as plums and cherries, with a balance that tends towards softness, despite its fresh acidity. Wines can have spice and herbal characteristics, as noted in Mestro Berardino's Lacrima Cristi del Vesuvio Rosso. I've seen one bottling of Piedidoso in my home market about four or five years ago, which I, of course, snapped up and thoroughly enjoyed. Needless to say, benchmark producers abound in other markets. I can suggest Contrada Salandra for very interesting wines that I've read about. These come from Campi Flegre, as well as Cantina Fericiane, run by the Palumo family for four generations now. Fattoria La Rivolta, Nustili, Villa Matilde, Avalone, Marisa Cuomo, Casa d'Ambra, and Etora Samarco. What interested me more when learning about the grape? I'd have to say value. At work, we're constantly looking for wines that present value and quality. Piediroso fits this bill perfectly and is also appealing due to its softness while also having acidity that makes it ideal for food. And given that Piediroso is grown all around Naples, I'd have to have it with pizza or even pizza fritta. Buon appetito! Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local food, and taking in the scenery. Now back to the show. Pignolo is almost exclusively planted in Friuli Venezia Giulia. Historical documents recount its high status from the 14th century. But unfortunately, this began to change in the 19th century, and it eventually fell out of favor. Then, after Phylloxera hit Friuli Venezia Giulia, Pignolo was not included in any replanting programs, and this had pushed Pignolo to near extinction by the mid-20th century. But there were a few ungrafted vines of Pignolo growing against a wall at the Abbey di Rosazzo that managed to survive, and from these vines, the Casasola family, the former vineyard caretakers of the Abbey di Rosazzo, took plant material from them and started to propagate new vines. Some vine material was also passed on to Luigi Moschioni, which set his family on a path to becoming one of Pignolo's greatest proponents. And the third hero in the story is Walter Filippucci, who finally took over the rundown vineyard at the Abbey di Rosazzo and managed to plant 2,200 new vines from the remaining two on the property. Now, more than 80 hectares are planted to Pignolo. The name Pignolo references its small, compact bunches, which make them look like pine cones, called piña. Pignolo has a high level of tannins and needs ample heat to ripen them. 
However, the grape is also sensitive to extreme temperatures. Its small compact bunches are also sensitive to powdery mildew. Therefore, ideal sites would have plenty of sunlight to help to reduce disease while also promoting phenolic ripening. In the cellar, some producers employ oak treatment in an attempt to soften the hefty tannins. But the challenges associated with such high tannins become less intense as pinolo vines get older and temperatures get warmer. Now that vintners are becoming less reliant on oak treatment, other techniques in the cellar are being used successfully, such as maturation in amphora, large neutral oak, and lots of bottle aging to soften those tannins. I recently heard a fun anecdote about Pignolo. It's from a man named Alessandro Cosa, who recently opened a wine bar in Udni, which is a province where Pignolo is mostly grown. He named it Inoteca al Pignolo, citing a kind of kinship that he feels with the grape. When answering why he chose to name his business after Pignolo, he said, it has the same character. It's a bit hard and closed and needs time before it shows its best. In the glass, Pignolo wines are structured, concentrated, and capable of aging. Acidity levels and tannin levels are high. They have deep color intensity, notes of blackberry, blueberry, herbs, and mineral. With bottle age, earthy tertiary characteristics develop. Certainly a wine that rewards patience. I have to say, I love a good story about connections between grapes and humans. I have yet to see a bottling of Pignolo in my home market, unfortunately, but I would seek out some benchmark producers that represent a range of Pignolo styles, such as Moschioni, Brodero, Castello di Butrio, Dorigo, Gigante, La Vigna di Zamo, Bresan, and Ronchi di Chala. And what to eat with it? Well, thinking about Pignolo's structure and concentration, I would try a nice ribeye steak topped with a thick walnut, parmesan, and truffle pesto. A good excuse to eat steak and drink good wine. Aged lamb also comes to mind, or even a rich potato gratin with smoked cheese and chipotle cream for a non-meat idea. Buon appetito! The name prier derives from the French word prier, meaning to pray. It is also referred to as prier blanc. Prier is cultivated almost exclusively in the Valle d'Aosta, specifically in the upper valley, which is the highest growing area in this region. In fact, it is among the highest vineyard areas in all of Europe. Vines are planted at 900 to 1200 meters above sea level, where it is very difficult for other vines to survive. But this extreme altitude with cold temperatures also makes it difficult for phylloxera to survive. Therefore, all Prier vines are ungrafted. So how does this variety manage to ripen in such extreme conditions? Even though winters are long and severe, Valle d'Aosta experiences 2,200 hours of sunshine per year, thanks to the rain shadow effect from the Alps on the western side of Valle d'Aosta. Prier is grown on the most western edge of the valley and therefore benefits from the most sunshine hours in the valley. The minimal rainfall also provides a benefit of more concentrated flavors in the wines, a kind of quiet power that some grapes grown in extreme cold, altitude, or latitude possess. Grapes are able to grow because of the intense work done to build terraces into the, deep, into the steep slopes. Growers use pergola vine training systems and build them low to the ground, 
to maximize the heat absorption from any warmth radiating from the ground or from the supports from the vines, which are made of stone. Prier is a hardy, early ripening variety, a necessity for viticulture here. With such commitment needed to grow Prier, it is remarkable to think that it is one of the oldest cultivated varieties in Valais d'Aosta. Prier is also significant due to its genetic contribution to the diversity of native grapes in the Aosta Valley. It has a parent-offspring relationship with other early ripening grapes in Valais d'Aosta, including Maiolet and Primetta. It even has genetic connections to grapes that link it to locations far away in Spain and Switzerland. Prier is made in a range of styles, including dry, still wines, sparkling wines, usually Metodo Classico, and sweet wines. Wines are characterized by fresh florals, green apple, and some hints of stone fruit in warmer vintages. Wines are marked with steely minerality, high acidity, and what is described as a mountain freshness. Prier makes a lovely aperitivo, and of course is enjoyed with foods such as fish with a simple preparation to highlight Prier's quiet power. Also recommended is some buckwheat gnocchi with Savoy cabbage, sage, and brown butter to highlight the light herbal character in Prier. Production for these wines is small, given that plantings only cover about 30 or so hectares. Needless to say, I've yet to encounter one in my home market. However, some benchmark producers to try are Hermes Pavese, Maison Albert Bouvet, Piero Brunet, and Fouvet Marziano and Cave Montblanc de Morguet et La Salle. I was reading through the website of this remarkable co-op enterprise and came across a comment written by Luigi Bernelli. He said something interesting. He said, you need to listen carefully to the wine. I imagine him to be referencing the purity of flavors and long persistence in these delicate wines, as though he were championing Prié's delicate intensity of flavors in a world where they might be overlooked in favor of wines with power and intensity. And just one last quote. This one from the folks who run the Cave Montblanc de Morguet et La Salle that seems to perfectly describe their commitment to Prier. They say, to make a good wine, you need a madman to cultivate the vineyard, a wise man to regulate it, an artist to make the wine, a lover to drink it, and we would add a poet to sing its glory. Chin chin. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.